As I mentioned last week, this summer, our sermons will be centered around the theme, Disciples Together, the Weird and Wonderful Practices of Church. We're going to celebrate all the weird but wonderful things we do together and find our boldness again. Now, next week, as we've said, and we'll keep saying several times so you remember it, Combine Worship next week at 9.30, and our theme will be Holy Potlucks. Sounds like fun, and it is going to be fun. This week, this week not so fun. This week we're talking about the Trinity, and my brain is already hurting. Go ahead, get your yawns out now. The Trinity sounds theological, sounds complicated. The Sunday after Pentecost on the Christian calendar is always Trinity Sunday, but churches would never know it because we preachers love to skip Trinity Sunday. It's just so complicated, so weird. And I was going to skip it too, I confess, talk about something much more interesting. But then I remember talking about things that are weird about church is what I said we were going to do. And so what could be weirder than talking about the Trinity today? So here we are. We're talking about Trinity. When we do so, we're talking about the very nature of God. Most Christians affirm that there is but one God, but our experience of God is in three persons. We sang about it this morning, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. We'll sing about it in a little bit from the doxology. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Creator, Christ, and Holy Ghost. Three persons, one God. Now, the word Trinity itself does not appear anywhere in Scripture, we have texts like the one that Doug just read to us that mention all three persons of God, God, Christ, and Spirit, all in one text. But this thing we call the doctrine of the Trinity really didn't develop until over 300 years after Jesus. Get ready for a history lesson. 300 years after Jesus, there was this bishop named Arius. And he was from the ancient city of Alexandria, Egypt. Arius began to teach that Jesus was not God, sort of created by God, God light, but not God fully. Arius' teachings began to spread and more and more churches began to believe what he taught. And other church leaders became concerned. They couldn't fully explain it, but since Jesus was here, they had worshipped Jesus as God. And this was a different teaching. Then enters the emperor, Emperor Constantine. You may remember from history class so long ago that he was the first Christian emperor, though he was more emperor than Christian. Constantine realized that this division among the churches was actually creating two different churches. And that would not be good. Well, not for him politically. So he decided it needed to be dealt with once and for all. And he called all the bishops, all the church leaders together to gather in the city of Nicaea, which is in modern day Turkey. See, even from very early on, the church has gotten itself all messed up in politics. They gathered together in what we call now the Council of Nicaea. And it was some event, better than any general assembly that disciples could throw. 300 bishops were there. Sounds like a party, doesn't it? 
there were arguments, there was some fights. It lasted for several months, and they discussed everything from which books belonged in the Bible to what the proper date of Easter was, and, of course, if Arius and his followers will burn eternally in hell for their false teachings. Sounds like a barrel of laughs. At the end of the debate, the majority agree, or disagree, rather, with Arius. And together with the heavy hand of the emperor, they wrote what we call the Nicene Creed, which would settle once and for all this great argument in the church. And by the way, they excommunicated Arius that day as well. Now, I want you to open up your red hymnals. It's not the end of the sermon. I'm sorry. There's more. Turn to page 358. 358. And there you, find, there you will find not a song, but what is entitled the Nicene Affirmation of Faith. Now, this is actually the creed they wrote, although we disciples don't like that word creed, so we call it an affirmation of faith. Now, we're not going to recite it together. It might make some of you sweat who grew up in more liturgical creed reciting traditions, but I'm going to read it, and you can read along. We believe in one God, the Father the almighty maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ. And here's where it starts getting detailed. You can feel the controversy that's trying to be dealt with. The only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father through him All things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in the one holy, Catholic, universal, apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Aren't you glad we don't say that together every week? It's a beautiful statement. It is. And you know, I think I believe most of it, a lot of it, I think. It's crafted perfectly. It refutes every argument of Arius and his his fellow Christians to prove that they were wrong. And from that point on, from that day when they settled on this creed, it became sort of the standard belief for what it means to be an orthodox Christian. It was the measure of who is in and who is out. On behalf of this creed, Christians have taken up arms and they've killed heretics who do not agree with it. Even today, many still use it as a litmus test for who's in and who's out, and they usually add a nice long list after the creed, often with beliefs about the end times, marriage, the inspiration of scripture, and the ministry of women. Believe all that, and then you're in. Now, if all this 
talk of creeds and doctrines is making you even more annoyed than you are bored, then you might be a good disciple. We members of the Christian church, disciples of Christ, don't care for creeds. It sort of goes back to our very foundations. No creed but Christ, we say. No one's going to tell us what to believe. But to reduce the Trinity to a doctrine that we can believe or not to believe, and then to use that doctrine as a wedge deciding who is in and who is out of God's love, that is the very is contrary to the very nature and spirit of what the Trinity is. The Trinity, whatever the details may be, is about God in community. God existing not as some lonely, grumpy, old legalistic man in the sky, but God in God's very nature, a community. In the Hebrew story of creation that we read in Genesis 1, God says to God, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. Most of the time when you see that word God in your English Old Testament, it's a translation of a Hebrew word, Elohim, which is a plural noun. God's very name in Hebrew is plural. In the text we read from Romans, Paul isn't debating the Trinity, and he probably would just look at us with a blank stare if we said that he was. But the notion of God existing in this community is all over the text. Now, you should know, every time you see the word you in that passage, and rather in most of the New Testament, when you see the English word you, it's really the word that Marty and I often say, and you make fun of us, it is the Greek word y'all, okay? <laughs> there is no plural English you, but it's y'all, okay? Y'all, Paul says, are in the spirit. The spirit of God dwells in y'all. And Christ is in y'all too. And the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in y'all too. It's, it's from the Bible. And since this experience of God lives in all of y'all, live like it, Paul says. Be led by the spirit that is alive in y'all. Or in short, all of God is in all of y'all. That's what the text says. To experience community together as y'all, as you, plural, as us in life together, to experience community is to experience God. Even though it may be imperfect and weird, that is Godlike. A few years ago, the United Church of Christ pastor Lillian Daniel from the Chicago area caused quite a stir with an essay she wrote that sort of went viral on the internet, as viral as anything a preacher could ever write. It was called Spiritual But Not Religious? Please Stop Boring Me. She writes, on airplanes, I dread the conversation with the person who finds out I'm a minister and wants to use the flight time to explain to me that he is spiritual but not religious. Such a person will always share that this as if it's some kind of daring insight, unique to him, bold in its rebellion against the religious status quo. Next thing you know, he's telling me that he finds God 
in the sunsets and in walks on the beach. Sometimes I think these people never leave the beach or the mountains. What with all the community communing with God, they do on hilltops, hiking. And did I mention the beach at sunset yet? Like people who go to church don't see God in the sunset. Being privately spiritual, she says, but not religious, just doesn't interest me. There's nothing challenging about having deep thoughts all by oneself. What is interesting is doing this work in community where other people might call you on stuff or, heaven forbid, disagree with you. Where life with God gets rich and provocative. When, where life with God gets rich and provocative is when you dig deeply into a tradition that you did not invent all for yourself. Can I switch seats now, she asked, and sit next to someone who has been shaped by a mighty cloud of witnesses instead? Can I spend my time talking to someone brave enough to encounter God in a real human community? Because when this flight gets choppy, that's who I want by my side, holding my hand, saying a prayer, and simply putting up with me as we all like to do in church. Now, I'll be honest, this Trinity stuff, it's making my head hurt. Forced to write down what I believe into a creed, I don't know what I'd write down today, probably different than what I'd write down tomorrow, and thank God I don't have to. But this Trinitarian nature of God, that God exists in community and calls us to do the same, this I believe with my whole life. What I have a hard time with is when people say that God is some static being who is always the way that God always was. Oh, and God's a he, by the way, a, a father, because how could God be male and female? This picture of God is not scriptural. Read through the text. God is always changing, adapting. Maybe it's that the people writing down the stories are learning more about God's nature. Maybe God is doing some learning too, as God's relationship with humanity and with the Trinity grows. And why wouldn't this be the case? When God's very nature is community, a Trinity, then what do you expect? You cannot have community, true community, without being changed by it. If you don't want to change, well then live as a hermit, isolated from society, all alone. But when you're with someone, your edges become more rounded. You learn, you grow, you change. To change, to learn from life's experiences, this is being like God. God as Trinity, God as community, that's what it means. God diverse and big enough for all of us. God, male, female, spirit, person, and so much more. God always growing and learning. God never contained in a doctrine or creed, but God alive, alive in us, alive when disciples come together into this imperfect quirky, weird, but great cloud of witnesses we call church. This, we, all of y'all, are Trinity. This is so weird and complicated and yet so, so very beautiful. Amen. Let us come to the table as we sing our hymn of communion, Come Share the Lord, number 408.
It says we'll just sing verses one and two, but you got to sing the whole song. So we'll sing all three verses. <laughs>